Hey everyone, this is Nick Flores, host of Collision. I wanted to talk to you about an important advisory notice for the upcoming episode of our podcast. I believe in being open and transparent with all of you, our listeners. So I want to make sure that you're aware of topics being discussed in this episode. Topics in today's episode contain sensitive and potentially offensive subjects, including drug abuse references, sexual abuse references, and includes very strong language. I feel it's essential to give you a heads up about this content as it may be disturbing, triggering, or unsuitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is strongly advised. If you think these subjects might be distressing or offensive to you, please feel free to skip this episode. There will be a five second silence before the episode starts, so you can exit out beginning now. Welcome to Collision, where faith and doubt collide. My name is Nick Flores, and I'm your host, and this week I have the pleasure of introducing a very special guest, much like every week a special guest, um, Ashlyn Roberts. She has been a longtime friend of mine for 20 years, which is crazy to say that, wow, time has gone by so fast. There was one moment where we were kids, and now we're adults with our own children, and Ashlyn is... Um, super kind super passionate uh, about what she believes and how she she got there in her journey rightfully so um and i just want to commend her and her courage to share share some of that pain and, and that trauma with us today um and the advice she gives as well throughout the entirety of of our conversation which is two hours by the way so we decided to cut the episode in half because it would be a disservice to shorten it down to an hour. Um, I didn't want anybody to miss a piece and just be confused or, uh, you know, just frazzled because they're like, oh, I missed something. And so um, this week is part one and part two will be out in the next week or so um, that we can kind of get the whole picture of who Ashlyn is in, in her journey. So welcome to Collision. And this is part one of conversation with Ashlyn Roberts. Um, and so that's kind of what this platform is hoping to be is, is a way for people to share their story, um, especially kind of in regards to um, faith and whether it's Christianity or not, um, and just kind of all walks of life to share their experience there. I feel like there's a lot of brokenness within that structure, church structure, um, and some there's, there's a little bit of a rebellion um, in terms of if, if you think of it in kind of Star Wars terms of oh, there's some people that want to change, change the empire, um, but yeah. it's, it's small, but it's, it's pretty mighty. And then just like, I want to, I want to add fire to that, that flame of yeah. like a more inclusive church, a more inclusive culture and that aspect. And so hearing people's yeah. stories of them deconstructing, here's all the reasons why. Um, and not necessarily in terms of a way to be like, oh my gosh, church, you you did it wrong, which it's true they did. Yeah. There's a lot wrong, but as a way to just call it we out to people, like just like way all the whole time. There's always been problems, but like mm-hmm. in our little sphere, also because yeah. humans are problematic. But, Definitely, yeah. and so that's kind of where I'm at. It's like let let's share our our stories, and people are on different different journeys, and they're different parts of their journey they're just starting to deconstruct maybe they never thought about it Uh, maybe they're 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 no intention to reconstruct or they are reconstructing or you know wherever and so that's kind of where i'm like i don't want to pick sides but i want to hear from everybody because i know for me in my journey too i'm learning because i'm like i'm i feel like i've deconstructed but i feel like there's a lot of things where i'm just like wired that way to like to debate or to defend and yeah. um just because that's how we are we are raised to you know like oh yeah charlie Hardcore. campbell like, like really like, prepared like yeah super prepared like More they're never like, <laughs> that was that that felt like the whole point growing up was to defend that the whole, yeah that was absolutely the whole point i mean like how many times did we hear like don't be another teenager like the world doesn't need another teenager and you're like okay okay you hear something enough times and like it sticks forever, uh, good or bad. And like, I think that the sentiment is true. 
like, I guess the world, just the world at large, not in Christian terms of, like, the world, but, like, our entire sphere, as we believe scientifically that it is round. Um, but, like, I feel like uh, it's not a bad sentiment in some ways of, like, oh, we don't need just another teenager. Like, yeah, don't, in a sense, like, waste whatever you can give but at the same time like what you want to do is up to you and like you shouldn't also like end up with like the pressure of like let's save the world (laughs) at um 16 or like even younger (laughs) also so sorry I just like got over a sinus infection and lovely fun things of having um kids in school and getting every bug known to man so Sometimes I might cough and I'm very, I apologize to all the sound and the attacking of the ears. Nope. All good. I'll fix it on post. I've had dogs. I've had, you know, all, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, you already. might end up hearing a little, hi, mommy, from the corner. And it's not a ghost. It's my child from under the door, probably. But it'll be a little fun for you. But no, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I, I those kinds of things like really stuck in my brain of, the world doesn't need another teenager or um, like the sentiment of like, which I do back in a lot of ways, but the sentiment of like, you didn't go through this not to like use it. Like if you've survived this thing, you've walked through whatever, like then like if you don't do something with it, then you're wasting it. And I don't necessarily mean like, I don't feel like that, fully in that way of like everybody needs to tell their story like if that's not for you like do not do that is a big thing to like decide to do um but I think that I have um consistent oldest sister energy of like I'll tell my story um because we were obviously desensitized to like telling our story in the sense of like sharing your testimony of of your life or whatever and what brought you to Jesus um but like, I guess now <laughs> I just always am naturally an evangelist. Just now it's not necessarily for uh, the church, but more for um, being really conscious of like manipulation tactics of just human beings in general, not just inside of like a church setting, just any kind of like, I don't know, you could call it a high control group or something like that. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts about things like this that's how it's that's kind of how I was able to like check myself along the way I think I like sought things out that I was like oh that seems interesting that seems interesting and you hear a little thing and it makes you think and then you look something up and I'm like continuously curious person and so that I think is kind of like how that began and being curious and having access you can be really curious in life but if you don't have like full access to like not just a library, like when we were kids or like finding your way through the internet. But like now we have so much information at our fingertips as I talk to you in the computer, uh, that's going to be on a podcast. You know what I mean? Like, so we can like reach out and like get so much more information. Even me, who's like, I'm not, I don't know how to get information sometimes. Like I want it, but I don't know how to do that. And so now it's a lot easier for me to get that. And then also to see, what I believed, why I believed it, be able to forgive myself more for believing whatever I did believe at the time, because you can only know what you know in the, in that time. Like you, you are not able to like, look at that from there. It's only now as a full grown human who has children of my own and, you know, all the things in between that I look back and I go, Oh, because I think I went through a couple years of feeling kind of like, like an idiot in some ways, which, you know, because I, whenever any of us look back at our like youth, I mean, we're still young, but like when you look back at your teenage years and you think about like, when you think you're so grown or things like that, a lot of people, but on top of that, we were in like a very intense like group in a lot of ways. And like, so when you're in that and you're so young and you don't understand like how easily influenced humans just are by each other, by whatever. Um, you don't know 
all those things. And then, you know, you go through high school. Some people go to college, graduate college. Like you learn and you experience so many more people. Like you're outside of just your group. And I think that that's just, I think that if you have a problem with cognitive dissonance and you start looking through things, your beliefs will shift. Depending on depending on what you end up exposed to in life is the degree to which your beliefs may swing. But, you know, I don't know. It's very interesting. I'm very, I already listened to one of the episodes and I'm very excited. And, um, yeah, I love talking about this stuff, um, which is fun because usually you don't talk about, like, race, religion, politics, or anything like that in general in life to, like, not have a, a controversy. Blech, controversy. But, um... I love to talk about stuff because I feel like I love to talk about things uh, in like a chill, like fucking analytical, sorry if I can't talk, in like a chill analytical um, and like, yeah, I guess deconstruct is the word for what we did with our faith, but also like, I think I kind of love to do that with everything in life because as I learn about systems in government or this or that, that I didn't necessarily learn about like in government and econ because I didn't do those classes and plus like it's not like we always learn all those things anyway a lot of us learn on the fly um but I feel like I'm learning so many things on the fly sometimes um and wanting to be a good parent and like have the answers for my kids I then have to answer my own questions that I was like wait 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 what um so it's just very yeah interesting to I love it ADHD <laughs> rabbit trail where are we no it's all good um uh, yeah, just share as going into this, just like you don't need to feel like you're you need to censor yourself in terms of language or topics yeah. and things like that. This I want this conversation and this platform really to be a, a place where people can ask questions and fully be themselves. Yeah. Um, because it's the it's like you said, when we're when we were growing up, we had only some information of the entire world and we were kind of just told certain things and certain aspects about culture and um that's all we knew and so now it's like well if i if i continue to surround myself with people that are just like me then i'm not i'm not going to learn anything um, i'm not going to grow and i'm not going to evolve and so I, I totally love it um yeah so let's just start like can you share and give a little bit of context in terms of your story and where where your upbringing and what that looked like in terms of faith, Christianity, God, um, tradition, any any kind of context there. Yeah, so so obviously you and I know each other from church, but before that, I actually was not like raised in the church. I'm one of those ones that came along like I literally like when you met me, that was it. <laughs> that was the beginning of like my personal faith. Before that, I had a couple run-ins with like going to the um, Presbyterian church with my grandma sometimes for certain things. And like the fact that my dad's family is like heavily Irish Catholic, like I have an aunt Mary and I have like, you know, like it's like all the very traditional, like Kathleen is my middle name. Like we have a lot of like very Irish Catholic roots on that side, but on my mom's side, it's, mostly just like protestant vaguely you know christian essence but no one uh except like a couple of cousins are like um real heavy into the church we do have a random branch of like mormons so that's interesting uh and of course they are in utah but he converted to mormonism in like college age and so he was actually always kind of the like oh geez he's like you know, like, cause it was so out of the norm of my mom's side of the family anyway, cause they were just like blatantly just like, eh, whatever vague Christian, like American Christian. But, um, yeah, so that was random, but so it also was a fun, like look at other things. I think it opened me up to being like, wait, what is that? And so uh, another level of curiosity, but, um, I grew up as a thorn, <laughs> I was born in the summer of 91. Uh, to parents who were, like, basically teenagers. Uh, my mom was uh, 21, and my dad was 19, almost 20. And they actually met um, through, like, drug dealer. Um, so I came into the world in a very, like, kind of hectic space. Um, 
to put it real California and like light, but realistically, like I was born into a lot of trauma, like hands down, it was just a lot of trauma. Um, yeah, my mom and dad were not married when they had me. Um, and so we lived with my grandma. Of course my alarm would go off even though I silenced everything. So yeah, we, um, I went home to the same house that my mom lives in today. So, I mean, we've had the same family house forever, but my, it was my grandma's house then and lived there for the first six months of my life. Um, and my mom and dad were together, but like he wasn't around that much. Um, so just like really a lot of hectic stuff. I mean, domestic violence has been heavy in my life. Uh, my whole memory, you know? Um, and then we moved to my dad's family's house, um, just a couple towns south. Um, so we just went from like Cardiff to Pacific beach, um, all before my full memory start, obviously. And, um, but yeah, so, I mean, uh, all of my first real memories are tied to, um, just a lot of, uh, yelling and, uh, anxiety and all of those things. Um, my grandma's house was more of a safe space for me. Um, as she meant it to be, which like, she just committed to always being available for me really in life. Um, and I, uh, love her very much. She's gone, but, uh, she really did her best to try to be there for me. And she was not perfect at all. Obviously trauma goes back and back and back. Um, and she was not exactly like the perfect mom, but she really tried to make up for it in being there for me in ways that she should have been a better mother for my mom. So, you know, trying to pick up the slack along the way because of the things that, you know, it happens. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I would go to church with her sometimes. And I remember, you know, going and like, like never being able to find a verse in the Bible, like in the desk, like Sunday school type things and feeling very like, Oh, I'm not one of them. Um, yeah. and like having some of the kids who were like really competitive about it. And I remember being very like, Oof, I don't even, I could never, like, I could never get there. Um, very punk rock, very punk rock of you. <laughs> yeah, no, right. It started so early. Um, it was never a phase. Isn't that the thing now? It's, it was never a phase, mom. I straight up looked at my mom when I was about nine and I was like, mom, I want to be a goth. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. And she's like, no, you're not. And that's where I stopped for a moment and then have reverted back to my normal self. Um, Cause I'm a people pleaser at heart. And then I've given that up and now I would like to look and feel like myself. Anyway, back to that whole face thing. I um, <laughs> did that. And then I went, I, I told my dad one random day, like that I went to church with my grandma and like there was always tension there and so of course he decided to be like well my family's catholic if you ever want to go to mass let me know and i was like okay take me and he's like i don't even know when it would be so we'll figure that out i was like oh you don't want to go and walk into just any old mass with me right now sir who's definitely high out of your mind so sorry no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm not actually not kidding <laughs> otherwise uh, I was like, okay, cool. And then he like took me for Christmas and I just, you know, it was a lot of like, you have to sit and stand at certain times and you have to sing certain parts and like people look at you and you don't do it right. And I was like, I don't know the rules. No one gave me the rule book. I don't want to drink after everybody and whatever. So I just remember that and like the pomp and circumstance of it being like interesting, but also very other. So I never felt like at home in it. Um, and it's not like I went a lot. It was like holidays. It was like, maybe we'll go and meet my grandma or grandpa at mass on fucking or on uh christmas maybe or whatever i vividly remember wiping my snotty eight-year-old nose on my arm during christmas mass and i had like a deep green crushed velvet scrunchie on my wrist and it being just like so snotty um and i recognize that now as a parent because i look at my kids and i'm like ooh, gross um, but like that's a very vivid like memory that I have of mass. Um, and then, um, and then, as I said, my parents like did drugs. <laughs> they met through their drug dealer. They continued to use. Um, my mom didn't use during either of her pregnancies. 
which is great. And with me, she actually was sober when she got pregnant and did not realize that my dad was still on drugs. I don't know how, but you know, to be young and in love, I guess you are quite naive, been there and overlooked very stupid things before. So I get it. Um, so that being said, she was clean and sober for a while, but I mean, obviously things were already any, like they were just tumultuous anyway. And then, you know, fast forward, uh, she had my sister when I was like almost nine and I feel like things just got worse and worse and worse after that, because obviously with domestic violence, it just gets worse and worse until it explodes. Um, and then if you add white drugs into the mix, um, you know, like I just, nobody, no, no one at the time knew what, what meth was going to do to everybody, you know, way down the road. Like when everybody got into it, they were all little teenagers and, you know, partying. But, um, by the time they were then, you know, in their thirties, like my age now, like if I think back, I'm like, okay, at my age now is about when my parents got sober. So that means I was 10, 11, almost 11. Cause it was like right before summer and I'm a summer kid. So it was like right before I turned 11, that things just completely exploded. Like we had a really gnarly instance of domestic violence that involved like a gun being in the house and like my dad actually went to jail for once which was so random he actually never really he didn't go to jail very often and he never did any prison time so that's white privilege for you because uh, uh the only reason homeschooler didn't spend some serious time behind bars is because he, he his his whiteness and his like lack of looking like a full drug addict like he he never like looked real haggard until the very very end of like before he got really really sober a couple of years ago um and he and i've talked about that of like you know he he was able to you know not not end up in the full-on because of a lot of that in some ways and he kind of agrees but i i'm just from the from my case study of watching everyone i know exactly why um but yeah i mean so like and a big interaction of that, you know, cop came, took dad away and some cop like literally asked me to help him jam my dad's gun at the age of like 10. Um, and so that's a really weird memory. Um, my grandfather screaming at me from upstairs telling me I was a traitor because I was like being honest about the fact that my dad was being crazy. Uh, cause I was 10 and I was in full big sister mode and I had taken it upon myself to like take care of everybody already forever. Um, because when you're a little kid, you either identify with your abuser or, uh, with the abused. And, you know, when you're little, you see the abuser as in power. And so maybe you identify with like being more of a bully at first when you're a little kid. And then you realize who the bad person is. And then you are like, oh, then you're on the other side. And then you have to like defend. Um, a lot of my memories are like trying to referee at very young ages, um, which all parties have agreed <laughs> is insane now back then they were young and on drugs and crazy about whatever number of things and you know my mom was just constantly reacting and my dad was did not know how to dad and husband in life uh and so i don't love it but also i have like some level of forgiveness because it's not like they ever no one ever taught them how to do those things um and so then after the big explosion of everything cps ended up involved then it was like, okay, mandated sobriety, mandated domestic violence counseling for everybody and mandated whatever. And so they started going to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, not so anonymous sometimes. I don't care. I'll blow anonymity because they also don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, so going through NA and then being like in North County, San Diego, NA, you also end up going to a lot of churches for stuff like that because churches open their doors for groups. And then a lot of churches have drug and alcohol recovery groups. And so my parents ended up going to a couple of those. Um, and then through that, we ended up fully immersed in the church um, just like trickling in, <laughs> like, it's just like, you're there and then you're there and then you're there all the time. And so I went from being a kid who was raised, um, 
pretty like new agey, honestly. Like if my, if there was anything I could say about my mom and the way that she was, she was just very much like kind of a hippie, weird, like for like an eighties, like metalhead, she was actually kind of weirdly earthy and like, um, Zodiac heavy and like, yeah, new agey kind of borderline witchy sometimes, you know? And, uh, just that more, that mystical side of things. And then my dad just being just an asshole. (laughs) So, and just having like really gnarly Catholic guilt and like telling me not to take the Lord's name in vain. And I'm like, I know no God. So what? Um, but then, you know, now to, it's like the whole concept that we were told of like, you put God in and then he like changes everything. And it's like, okay, yes. Also you go and then you start going. And then in order to get involved and stay involved, you go to everything. And then all of a sudden, if you are the kind of person who's just like balls to the wall, um, you're there at every service on Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday night, obviously that's part of Sunday services, but just, you know, whatever. And then Wednesday, of course. And then, yeah, the Tuesdays was drug and alcohol ministry that we would go to. And then I ended up like helping in the, like with the kids in that setting, um, you know, getting scholarships for church camp going and those kinds of things. Um, but the real defining moment at the very beginning before I got all the way in was uh, going to Easter service and I got saved at Easter service at Moonlight. Um, and when I wanted to walk up, I was like 11. I'm, I was almost 12. I was like two months away from being 12, obviously April. Um, so that would mean it was, you know, April of 2003, 20 years, oh, 20 years this year. Um, and so, yeah, it would have been, think I'm not a Christian. I would say now, spoiler alert. But that's okay because everybody, yeah, I'm very much with you on the, I want everybody to have whatever faith they need for themselves as long as their beliefs are not um, harming people or themselves, honestly. Like, because sometimes your beliefs aren't going to harm somebody else because maybe you're not going to like shout that out. But like, if you're internalizing all that, like you need to stop that. But I digress. So yeah, getting saved at that about 20 years ago. Um, my sister going up with me, uh, I'm, so I'm walking up (laughs) holding my little sister and it's quite the scene and, you know, she's kind of crying and I'm kind of crying and like that whole thing. And you go off to the side and you get a little book with a little bag of stuff and everybody loved the fact that it was me and my sister going up. Not that she was like going to raise her hand, but she just wanted to go with me. She was, she was two and a half maybe, um, or just freshly two actually which also shows you that I was a little tiny mom uh, immediately because I begged and pleaded for her to exist. And then when she finally existed, she, I was like, you're mine now. Um, my, my real life baby doll. And now she's my size. Like she's like my, my size Barbie now because she's in her 20s. And so we're full grown humans together. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, so that was that. And then I just jumped straight in. Like I, we started going and then kind of started to make a couple friends. It was difficult. It's always really difficult stepping into any group, but in that setting, as you know, you were there, um, it's very rough to jump in and like on a very like base level, like I had boobs (laughs) at 11 and that wasn't super commonplace. Like I just, I matured quickly, like in my family, it's, that's our body type and that's fine. But like I was mature early and that's a rough road to go down anyway. But then if you also then jump into the church in junior high, in the middle of like really gnarly purity culture, it was rough because I, um, walked into church one day in like a spaghetti strap and I was like, immediately like somebody was like shutting that shit down like hey fyi like we don't do that here and i was like what it's hot outside i'm a kid i don't know why that wouldn't be okay and then comes the immediate beginnings of like like i was already primed and ready for like body issues like i'm i i'm a girl and it was the 90s and the early 2000s and like kate moss was the body stylist like you should be the size of someone's pinky but also really tall, but don't be taller than your boyfriend. Anywho, I digress yet again, but that is the culture of like everything around. And then obviously the church is different. Like you should still look good, but you should be like holy and covered. 
And so that was difficult because I literally came from like, my mom is like a half naked human most of my young life. So I was like, what are you talking about? I am like so chaste, but I was not compared to like growing up where you like eventually down the road, I was the person who literally wore like a bra, a sports bra, a tank top, a shirt, maybe a long sleeve. Also, it was the, it was like 2005, 2007. So layered was everything. And then a jacket. And I also wore like jeans and my Converse. And that was in the middle of summer in Vista. Because I was like, okay, it must cover all the sinfulness that is my body that just grew this way. But like, I'm not going to let that be out there. Um, And the constant consciousness of like, if I do look that way, it's my fault if someone sees me and then they think of something bad, like the reality of being a girl in that setting, like both sides being a a boy in that setting, it primes you to have a lot of predatory issues potentially. And also a lot of really gnarly shame and not being able to talk about stuff. But for girls, um, the shame is like, uh, not that you can't stop yourself from doing something, but that you are, causing other people to do this thing and you're just like how do i stop it what do i do um yeah so what especially when you walk into that later yeah let's let's rewind a little bit so you're like you're growing up your life is full of trauma as as you mentioned all sorts of crazy trauma which um in and of itself the fact that you got out of that is already a miracle and then you Which find was safe. a big signal point for the whole Jesus thing. They're like, "Look, you made it. You're here. Yeah. This is yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, God, God wants you here. He, he, yeah. Time. Not yeah. like my hypervision from all my trauma kept me alive or anything, mm-hmm. or like random people who were like, "Let's help that kid out." But no, yes. So yes, yeah. I was experiencing all these crazy traumas. Mm-hmm. You found you found safety at Grandma's house, which is, is really cool. Yes. Um, and then you started kind of like go to church with grandma you kind of felt like the odd one out never really fit in there and so how did you get from then now you're like your parents are going to like na and then they're starting to pop into churches in and out you're starting to then that was a fight it was a fight for me actually which is why when it happened it was like this big like hard-won victory because right before i got saved um, I actually went to, <laughs> I'm going to say this this way and it's not ableist. It's just the way I refer to myself. I would never say it about somebody else, but I always say that I went to the loony bin because I did. And at that point in time, that's what I would have said. I would not necessarily call it that in like normal company, but like I have a sick sense of humor because when you go through a lot of crazy stuff, sometimes you have to say like really crazy things to make it not <laughs> like the worst experience of your life, like being 11 years old and having to go to you know, Aurora Behavioral Hospital because your, your parents suddenly have gotten clean, found Jesus. And they're on like this, like high of like fixing themselves. And they're like really trying. And you're like, you guys suck. (laughs) You always have, I don't trust you or believe you. (laughs) Fuck you and everybody around you. Literally. I was like, so angry. I was so belligerently pissed, which is probably why I'm a little bit more of an angry adult now because I shoved so much rage that was super warranted um, down for Jesus because it was really super disrespectful, you know, to like tell your parents how shitty they were at doing certain things because you should respect them. I mean, unless they lead you into sin, but like tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes. I don't know. Like who's to say what a sin is from a parent? Aren't they the ones who rule your life? I don't know. Um, it was very fun figuring that out, but basically they were getting better, quote unquote. And I was like, who the fuck are you people? Why do you have this fucking station on all day? Like I'm saying this because I literally was pissed. Um, and my mom was always like, this is warfare. It's Satan's working to like, stop. <laughs> oh, so cringy. It's so hard to like say out loud, but I love that I can, but, um, like you think about these things all the time, but when they come out of your mouth, you're like, only select people will get this. But the reality of having your behavioral problems um, because of really gnarly stuff, like all summed up as like, 
warfare. Like it's a nice, pretty package and it's something that people feel like then they can like fight, I guess probably, or like they're, they're get like, if you don't know what to do and you go somewhere and they're like, Hey, I have the answer to all your problems. Like you're going to be stoked on that, especially when you feel like really lost and no one ever told you what to do. And all those things that happened with my parents, like they were prime, like targets. They were, they were ready to be like, here you go. It was perfect. You know, they were seeking out some way to like, not feel how they felt, which is what they were trying to fix with the drugs. Realistically, it's unmedicated mental illness and unhealed trauma. Ooh, like pretty much everybody who uses drugs, as we know now. But, um, they, you know, they were suddenly okay. And I was not, and I was like really pissed. And then all of a sudden, like, I remember also like listening to the K wave and I hated Chuck Smith's voice. I hated the sound of it. Like it like was nails on a chalkboard. I remember that vividly. I just, I thought the guy was full of shit. He sounded so, um, he sounded so like full of himself. And like also John Corson bugged me too back then for sure. Um, I know their voices so well. We listen to this so much in life. Every man in answer. You always wanted to call and ask a question. We did and... call. We did call. <laughs> okay. My mom was like, I got an answer. I don't even remember what it was, but she totally did it. I'm not. Well, and I was like a homeschool kid at some point too, because I like got teased so mercilessly that I eventually was like, I don't want to be here anymore, but I don't have enough money to go to the Christian school. So we're going to homeschool it instead. But like that came later down the road. But basically everything went absolutely fucking off the wall crazy in my head. I actually ended up getting sick. I was on an inhaler, which is steroids. I was like 11 years old. And so I was like freaking hopped up on my inhaler because I was sick. And like, I, uh, and they put me on Prozac because they, I was depressed. They had put me on Prozac before that. But like, you know, that was when they were like handing out antidepressants to like nine-year-olds like candy for a second and then everybody decided to get really crazy and then everybody's and then we went into the church and they were like you shouldn't be on those things and then so it was like this weird thing and I was not in that and then the inhaler mixed with the Prozac mixed with the insanity of my life made me just feel real crazy and obviously like prime puberty time like everything's wrong anyway um and then yeah I just I I had they I told my mom that I wanted to kill myself. I told her that I had tried to cut myself um, and whatever. And so, you know, she took me to go and go inpatient. We'd had family who had had mental health struggles. Like I come from so much of that. And at the time it was just like, everything was so crazy that I was just like, I didn't know what to do. And I, it, it it was, it just is weird because I look back and I'm like, I don't understand exactly why. Like, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was just, I was so overwhelmed. And I look back now and I realize I was like fully having meltdowns and just freakouts because of just fully undealt with, you know, just crazy anxiety, you know, that I can deal with as a grown up. Um, but like having no agency over yourself where you go, what you do, your whole everything with people who you are like, I have to trust you, but can I? Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, uh, just the whole weird out of nowhere. Yeah, it was after that. Um, and it kind of broke me down going in there a little bit. I mean, you're little. I was a child. I was 11. And so going and being alone and like, it's scary <laughs> to be in there at 11 alone and like, you know, sleeping like miles away from your family, having to get needles stuck in you when you're afraid of needles, having a nurse be like, no, I'm not going to hold your hand. Having just, you know, mean people and other kids who were like really actually super duper not okay, not well um, there because they don't have anywhere else to be. At the time I went there, they were redoing one of the units or whatever. So the teens and the kids were on the same floor, which is like a big no-no, but they like had to for some reason. And I don't know. And so it was just like really, really weird and jarring. I mean, I'd already experienced such crazy stuff in life, but it was just interesting being around kids my own age who were so messed up because I didn't, I had some friends in that sphere of like my mom and dad's like friends, kids, but it was 
you know, we work together all day, every day at a certain point, And then you're in there and you're like, oh, we're all just, I'm like, I think I want to go home. So I did my three days and I went home and then something happened with my medication. I ended up going back like a month later, same deal where I was just like completely a wreck. And they put me on another thing with it. Um, and then, you know, I left and then about two weeks later after that was the Easter situation, I think I was just in essentially was broken down and just like, um, afraid. And I was always afraid of everything. I was, I'm, I'm a heavily anxious person, which makes sense after all of my life. Like we know what trauma does to you. I'm, I'm just a ball of anxiety. Um, I ADHD as fuck. (laughs) I'm probably autistic. So that shit's genetic and my kid is. So, Hey, um, (laughs) I put money on it that one or both of my parents might be, who knows? Um, it's interesting. You know, that is a lot of things too. It's a whole different part of everything that plays into so much stuff because I think that I, I, now you look at a whole picture at the time, you don't know all those things. So you're just like, I was freaking messed up. Um, but yeah, I was, I I pretty much was like broken down and then I'd always had issues with being teased uh, throughout life, but I realized now I look back and I'm like, I was always friends with my bully, (laughs) which is not great. Um, But I was the kid who was like, my mom always was like, oh yeah, be really forgiving. So the church was really easy for me because I was always told to be really forgiving and I had to be anyway because I had parents who were super messed up. And so I like learned how to forgive from the get go. And so forgiveness was super easy for me. Because I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, I love you no matter what, through anything and everything. And now I, I still do that in some ways, but boundaries. <laughs> because I do believe in, like, loving people, like, really genuinely loving people, whether they have stuff going on or not. Depends on, like, how safe they are for you and your family. But, like, and, but, like, I think that genuinely there are a lot of really good people who do things that are not good. And sometimes the only way they can stop those things is put boundaries up but all those things and but I don't believe in like forgiving like everybody like some people can just like eat shit and die um but that is something I say only after all of the craziness of all of the everything uh I was not that person when I was little I was just like yeah I'll be your friend I love to have friends um so yeah it was easy to go straight into more of that essentially in some ways so yeah, I was really broken down. And then I just jumped straight in because that's just how things are. Like, uh, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm just going to be a go-getter. Like that whole idea of like, fake it till you make it hit home for me as far as like, okay, I'm just going to like, I guess I'll do this. Like, I'm just going to go for it. I realize now, you know, that's somewhat masking. Like I was already good at yeah. masking things. Did you, um, did you feel safe in that environment at church? In a way, yes. Um, which didn't last forever, obviously, but at first, yes, because it was billed as safe also. Like, uh, summer camp was supposed to be safe. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's not. My first year there, <laughs> on a scholarship, uh, a kid from our neighboring city church uh, literally, like, sexually harassed me and almost assaulted me at, like, 12 years old, uh, my first summer camp there as this like a sixth grader like going into sixth grade essentially or no yeah whatever I don't know yeah sixth grader I was barely 12 and it was uh it was it was uh back like I think with that one guy who like moved away and had like a bunch of I don't know it was like this really really big burly dude who was like the assistant pastor for the junior hires at the time it was before Trevor and Evan, but it was Evan and Jason or something. I don't know. He was a really, really sweet guy. Um, and I remember that like, I didn't fully understand what this kid had said to me. And then I like said it out loud and I got really upset. And like, I literally not understanding how like you don't do that. I like just like leaned in and grabbed onto this giant man because I did feel safe with him. Cause I, I knew that he was the person I was supposed to tell this thing to anyway and like all that. So it's very interesting that you asked that because I did feel safe for sure. I thought that that was like a safe place. I also wasn't necessarily thrown by something like that happening because it was not the first time somebody had been weird to me in my life, but it was the first time in that setting that I had to deal with that of like um, some fucking dude saying some crazy stuff (laughs) and me being like oh how do I deal with this uh what do I do what did I do um 
and him getting like literally sent home like he was gone that night um so like they really do that uh they really would just send that guy home um and I didn't even I had didn't even ask them to I just like told them what happened like what he said to me he said something about something to f me or something I don't know <laughs> like it was it was so weird that I like really didn't register and then said it but um it's kind of a foggy weird memory but that camp was huge meeting people my one of my very best friends is still my best friend from literally the first year of being at um ow how does it still go off when i put it on vibrate and all of the things how's that happen anyhow i um yeah i mean some of my some of my friends are still i mean one of my very best friends who i talk to all the time is still from like that very beginning um but yeah it was just crazy i just jumped straight in so i went to every summer camp um and it was just like and i went to every service and i was you know writing notes like i went i studied like i was in school i i was a very good little like, I, I mean, I took notes better than my mom and dad, you know, like I had my little highlighter and I had my little tags. I did all my stuff. Like I was in it, um, because I was like, okay, this is going to change everything in my life. I believe this wholeheartedly. Like I really was a very devout, um, believer in general. Like, and I was not, I was very like, it's funny because we got very much taught like the, it's a relationship you know, like, it's not religion, it's a relationship, and, like, but when I look back, I'm, like, I religiously did these things, even though they were, like, yeah, that's why we don't just pray this way or that way, because that's religion, that's dead, it's a relationship, it's, like, okay, yes, but when it becomes a compulsion, because this is the only way you're going to get into heaven, truly believe, you know, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your salvation. And what do you, you know, it's just the whole road forward. So like beginning with no concept of any of that, like you said, like I literally was the odd man out and I walked into that church, the odd man out also, and like had to fight for my place because I also was like an open book and I didn't learn for a minute that I needed to shut my mouth because I was immediately putting myself on blast without knowing it like I just didn't I didn't understand at first like the because everybody's very like oh we want to help but actually they use everything as ammunition and I was I was just not a person and so I never like would have thought of that and then realizing that you know I mean I think everybody does in life but especially in that situation like your shit is like currency you know like it's what makes or breaks you. You are either are or not able to like be in leadership on a worship team, this or that or the other, all these crazy things, but it goes way back. You know, if your family's been in the church for a long time, you have more opportunities. If you're just jumping in, like you really have to show that you are devout and that you're going to be in it. And like, you really have to get connected if you want to be anything inside of that whole situation. And especially when we were very much given this like, idea of okay well we're gonna hop in and we're gonna start um the cringiest thing ever you know praying for your future spouse a way to make people boy slash girl crazy um tell them they need to constantly pray about and for like their future spouse i feel like that's a little toxic um well we know that now I would be like, I'm sorry, you're telling my child to do what? I actually said something to my mom the other day. I was like, yeah, what was that like? She's like, I mean, it was weird, but I literally thought to myself, I've been doing things wrong, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So very interesting now for her to look at things now that I have questions to ask as a grown up, where I'm like, because obviously it wasn't my choice to go. Like I was brought there, you know? And so the leaving now makes sense in a lot of ways because it wasn't really my initial like desire to do so I did that because that was where I was put and like you know like I said like if you hear something enough times like and you don't have other information like you're gonna believe those things same can be said for like abuse you know like I I think that a lot of people would look at me and would not anticipate that I like would put up with 
pretty much anything. But I was in like a horribly abusive relationship for like almost two years and nobody said anything because they didn't think that I would put up with something like that. Um, and, um, and yet, you know, lo and behold, I was like in hell. Um, but you know, I, I think that people didn't look at me and think like, oh, you know, I didn't look like I belonged when I went in and then I didn't look like I would have any problems with so-and-so. It's a lot of appearance based problems. <laughs> um, yeah. And what you put out there as far as like what opportunities you get, who you're around, like constantly being at the church so that you are around people because it's like, Oh, well you're supposed to be around people who are like-minded right anyway. Like, so that's, you're supposed to be around all these people because you're supposed to be in the world but not out of the world and like so you want to be places so you can be influential about like the things that you are like learning that we have been privileged to learn and then like so you're supposed to go out and like tell people about that in your life and in your sphere but you're a teenager uh, that kind of sucks because then you get teased a lot especially when you are like just unaware of of just like being a little quieter <laughs> like I was in some ways um I mean yeah I was you feel like you're yeah. just you're just kind of fighting you're fighting to survive in those moments you're yeah, you yeah. abuse in your relationship you're kind of quote-unquote forced to be at this place your parents brought you into church and you're trying to fit yeah. in and all that so yeah. you're just putting this facade on right Sorry, I didn't hear you for a second. Oh, just about um, putting kind of this, putting putting this happy face on um, for others. To, yes. To oh, very in. much. And I remember always getting told like, oh, you're so joyful. Um, and like that that was a compliment because like obviously we weren't supposed to strive for like being happy. So that concept of like, oh, we aren't meant to be happy. It says to strive for happiness or that you have the pursuit of happiness. There you go you're in the pursuit of happiness, right? But that doesn't mean that you'll ever achieve it because happiness is temporary and joy, it comes from God, right? This concept of like joy you can have even in the worst moments, which I've had plenty of before that. And then like had a lot more after, a lot more. Um, like the beginning was crazy and then like the during was crazy and then like the leaving was also really gnarly. Um, like no part of my life has been any uh, less filled with certain kinds of trauma. As I've gotten older and I've had kids, I've put up boundaries so I can save them from certain things. But there are certain people that I choose to still deal with because it is my, it, I, I have to weigh the good over the bad in some ways and decide where my boundaries lie for myself. I know where mine are for my kids and what I keep them from and all of those kinds of things. But I deal with certain things because I know that I, I need to help certain things. I'm not going to do those things forever or whatever, you know, our boundaries change as our lives change and whatever. Um, and as other people change, if people can respect your boundaries and change along with and grow, like then things can change. And if that doesn't happen and people go the other way, then those things fall off the wayside eventually. Um, but yeah, I was always just putting on a brave face and being, um, pretty much just once I realized it was a game of like, how do I spin this the best way possible? I became real good at spinning, uh, my stuff better when I needed to. And so I, so I didn't have to have the same repercussions of stuff. Like, cause obviously like that was not the end of my dad doing drugs. Um, it continued after, like he never, he couldn't, I mean, I don't think he could put, you know, more than 90 days together for a long time. Um, and so how, we, how was had that? What was yeah. That? How, how was that? Like, like dad, like, we started going to, yeah, we started going to church. You're, you were doing this thing and you're like, I committed my life to Jesus and I'm on fire and I want to, you know, and saying all the right things and you're doing the right things and it's like yeah. you feel like I'm I'm I want to move forward. Became, How does that feel? Then it became 
uh, we no longer were leaving him because throughout my life, things would get really crazy. We would leave him um, or make him leave one or the other. And so then once we were in the church, it was very much like, you know, you stand by your man a lot more, uh, even though my mom already had that in her anyway, which is interesting because my grandma was not necessarily, well, she had a bad, bad picker, but she did get divorced. She did say, fuck you, see you later. She did do that. She was very much an independent woman. And I think because my parents both had divorced parents, they decided, spoiler alert, they're divorced now. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> uh, but they were very much like, we're going to stick it out because our parents got divorced and it fucked us up. I'm like, that's not the only thing. <laughs> that wasn't the only defining factor. And also, yeah, I know you guys want to stay married, but like, could you also stop doing meth? And now you dead. No. Um, <laughs> but no, it was rough. It was rough to um, never have my shit get like normalized and like have to always constantly go and have, you know, trauma at home, prayer requests. Hey, could somebody come pick me up from my house? Uh, I got to get out of here. Um, and then with piece de resistance, you know, like my mom got cancer. <laughs> my mom got cancer ew, when I was 15. <laughs> Uh, when we moved from Vista to more of my hometown, um, because financially we needed to be, we wanted to go stay in a family house that we, you know, that we would pay smaller amounts of rent and like also keep the place up and whatever, you know, family stuff, whatever. Drama, drama, weird things, stipulations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no one can ever keep their shit together anyway. So my dad had already had issues. He'd started doing drugs more and more again. And then he actually had a really bad injury in his hand. Ugh. Um, had a shit ton of surgeries on it, went really Looney Tunes on the drugs that they gave him after the surgery. My dad has really bad, like, drug-induced psychosis after so many years of doing so much. I always say that, like, he broke his brain. Like, he ended up with, like, schizoaffective bipolar disorder. Um, so because of all of the drug use forever and ever and ever, because my dad started doing drugs, I think, I mean, he started smoking weed when he was like eight, which I don't really consider weed a drug, but I do when you're that small, that's not okay. You need a fully formed brain and story um, and a doctor recommendation in most states. But um, as a child, uh, not okay. Um, and then on top of that, he had a really gnarly injury, had to be in traction for his leg, broke his femur, kneecap and tibia, pins, all that stuff in the 80s, lots of drugs for that and then became dependent upon drugs and then started doing drugs because he was a really troubled kid and a lot of abuse and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that's the natural course of action when your parents are your abusers um, and your siblings are your abusers and your everybody is the abuser and no one's really looking out for you because you're a little kid in the 80s. And they're like, whatever, I hope you can get home on your bike in the middle of the night. Um, so whatever, like that is the beginning of that for him. And so, you know, he did drugs for so long that now he's the kind of person who can never do them, uh, ever or he'll be really gonzo. Like, like, you know, yeah. Um, there was a lot of time where I was like, my dad's going to be that guy just like walking down the street and he was talking to himself and like, that was a real, real thing. Um, you know, he was really... He really had a really, really rough go of it because of all of that. I mean, that shit really fucks your chemicals up. And um, then it's really, really difficult to deal with that because um, when you're so messed up from all of that and then you go inpatient for some unknown reason, you know, whatever, like you try and suicide by cop, like he's tried a couple of times, um, you then end up with like weird misdiagnoses, a lot of medications like there was a time my dad was on like 12 different medications at like therapeutic doses and getting ECT and so like there was a couple of years where yeah he wasn't doing drugs but he was like he, it was kind of like he was just a shell he was definitely not himself but he wasn't constantly screaming and it was just so weird I look back and it makes me really sad for him in those times but like he was lost we were all lost everything was crazy and he was our abuser all those years like that's I love my dad, but he also has been uh, the pillar of our domestic violence uh, most of our lives. Not because he wasn't also a victim himself when he was young, but, you know, when you grow up and you have kids, it's on you then. You're the one. So, you know, hence the reason I changed things for my kids because I was like, I'm not going to be that one. I am not doing none of that. No more um, 
and I do give kudos to my parents because they they tried to do it better than theirs and you know in a lot of ways they did um but other ways it was like whoa um so yeah he just the drugs went and went and went and we ended up further from church but then you know I got my license real quick I was immediately on the move and I was always on the go I was homeschooled technically because my mom got cancer and so I just fully enrolled homeschool like home study whatever and I didn't really do anything I pretty much completed ninth grade and that's it um and they let me stay enrolled because they knew I was taking care of my sister and my mom and they were really kind and it was a long time ago I don't think most people would get away with that now but you know 15 years ago uh it worked out 16, 17 years ago I was yeah I was 15 I had just turned 15 when my mom got diagnosed she had a large b-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma they found a giant lymph node in her groin um and she had it removed she had chemo she had radiation it was a whole big fucking thing for all of us at mm -hmm. church because she was bald as fuck <laughs> yeah um it's hard to hide all experienced that yeah ways together yeah no I mean like and and the thing is too like um everybody in the youth group really pretty much like got me through that in a lot of ways um because when I wasn't there, I was the person that um, everybody relied on in a lot of ways. And so going to church was different. I could go there and I could be broken in some ways. Not broken probably to the extent I needed to be, but in a more manageable way in some. It, it was reasonable that I would go there and need prayer and things like that. Like that was okay. I still tried to keep it together. I really, I cried a lot for a second and then I like went really numb. Um, because as you have to do, like you kind of, you, you make, you go through different times in your life of what your body can put up with. Um, I definitely ended up, you know, stuffing a lot of feelings down and dealing with things in different ways and, you know, growing up and having to take over a lot of things, getting my license. My dad decompensated heavily when my mom got sick because my mom was his world, even though he was an abuser, he also adored her. It's, it was very sick. And, um, and she was the only person who'd ever stuck around and stuck it with, through with him, you know? And so it was all really crazy and he really lost it. And that was when he just started fucking using constantly. I mean, it was so gnarly. Uh, and that was, yeah, in Encinitas in his childhood home. So that was a lot of trauma too. And that was a place where a lot of his abuse happened, like really gnarly abuse. So he just started to break in general like I could just start to see him just like shatter and so I kind of started taking care of him in some ways too like you know my mom was sick I'd get up in the middle of the night and like drive him somewhere because by the time I had my permit or whatever like I drove with my permit and drove a van to the hospital for him to be able to walk out to to smoke weed because he was in the hospital with a MRSA infection that he probably got from slicing himself open when he was really fucked up and on a bender and we had been at church and we went home but we didn't go all the way home my mom ended up taking me and my sister to my grandma's this is when i was 15 by the way so my mom had just had cancer her hair was just starting to come back in we i think we had just gone to like trevor and Lindsay's wedding not long before that and then so it was like after that so it was after like it was like in the, it was like 2007, the beginning of 2007, uh, of, um, us, like my dad being like all fucking crazy and like spinning his wheels and saying all the crazy stuff. Um, and, uh, my mom taking us to my grandma's and us deciding, okay, that's it. We're going to go, we're going to leave again. Cause that was the first time we left him since we went to church. So I had four years under my belt at that point, almost five years of going to church. Um, and that was a big decision for us to bail because he had clearly, I mean, my mom was sick, had just finished his own radiation and he was fully off the rails, so much meth, so much psychosis and guns in the house, thinking that every van that drove by was DEA, CIA, FBI, because AT&T must be the FBI and the news truck is for that and the i'm not kidding like when we go deep no sleep nothing like there's another level of like someone never stopping talking or doing something or like literally laying in a bed and not going to sleep and you're and it's very terrifying 
um, I was generally not afraid that my dad was going to physically harm us until the very end there. And he, he was not that person. My dad was always more of a person who would have harmed himself before somebody else, generally speaking. But the reality is that we, you don't know what someone's capable of at their worst, worst, worst until they're there. And so there was always that, you know, hesitation. Um, I don't think that my dad as him, his normal self would ever, ever, ever harm us on purpose. Um, but my dad on drugs, you know, I mean, any, what's, this is your brain on drugs, that commercial like with the egg and the knife. It's a, it's a real lasting mental image. Um, so also church was a, a big safe space for me because I grew up in such a crazy, hellacious world that there was like the sameness and goodness and like gentle, whatever of like all of that, that was the opposite. Like I had such gnarly opposites constantly in my life because you know, it was supposed to be all leave it to beaver at first. And then like everything went to shit anyway. And so we were still trying to like hold this image together. And then we had to like make shift, just like stumble through it and then the whatever. And so, yeah, going to my grandma's, my mom literally had to go and like get our dog. It's just crazy stuff, you know, I mean, just, just lots of crazy stuff. Um, and you know, him coming back and him kind of losing it, getting clean, lots of crying, uh, psychosis, really gnarly need then to go to church, him wanting to go to church. Um, he has a lot of trauma from church being raised Catholic and like going to Catholic school and shit with nuns being really evil to him and whatnot. And like, um, on the really fucked up side, he witnessed like that abuse of, uh, of somebody within a church setting, um, which was really bad. Did you know um, that at the time? Did you know your dad had that experience yeah, with that abuse? Um, so certain things, yes and no. Um, I should not have been aware of the things I was aware of in my life at all. Um, but I was very, very aware of everybody. I think it's part of what saved me in some ways was I just, I'm a person who just like all the information I want it, but also I always got it. Cause I, I was a kid around so many adults. I was constantly listening to everything and I was quiet enough. I learned how to be quiet, to stay places, to be chill. And like, I was the only kid around a lot of basically teenagers for some part of my life. Cause my parents' friends were like not having kids for a while. Cause they were young. <laughs> like my parents had some friends that had kids, but like they were also all fucked up. But like, so I listened to a lot of people say a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have my whole life. I knew a lot of stuff. Um, so whatever, you know, but it was just, yeah, it was craziness. There's a lot of, yeah. Thank you everyone for listening this far. Episode two or part two, I should say, of this conversation with Ashlyn Roberts will be released in the next week or so. Feel free to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, Collision with Nick Flores. If you or someone you know struggling with any of the issues we discussed in this episode, I want to encourage you to seek professional help or reach out to an appropriate support organization. There are resources available and you don't have to face any challenges alone. Thank you for listening to Collision.